Father, we thank you because you are good. Uh, you have created all things and you put Jesus in charge and, and you've done everything so that we can see your goodness. Uh, Lord, we know that by our frailty, by our sin, by our selfishness and just different ways about life, we, we easily run away from what your plan is and, and ultimately away from you. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to come near. Lord, we pray that we would understand your goodness and that we would understand that you've done all this so that we can draw closer to you and know your fellowship, know your forgiveness and to know your eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would cause us to submit to your word this morning. We pray that you'd cause us to be taught. And, Lord, that we would walk in the ways in which you've asked us to walk, even in a world which is trying to get us and even our own flesh, which tries to get us to go the other way. We pray that we would do what you've told us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. And uh, in the book of Colossians, this is a letter being written to a church in a little town named Colossae. It's a little church. And uh, as Paul has been writing to them, he just starts, as the whole Bible is, that it's about Jesus. That he created all things, that he put things into motion. He, he created things visible and invisible. And we talked about how uh, in the midst of that, that he made a man and a woman and that they failed. They sinned and that they uh, then were going to die. But God's plan through all that was that he was going to go and save them. He's the only one who could save us. And so in that plan, he sent Jesus. God, the father sent Jesus that he would take on flesh and blood like you and I. And whereas Jesus didn't sin, he didn't need to die for himself. He looked at you and I. And said, they can't help themselves. There's no way they can save themselves by their own works, their own doing, their own prayers, whatever it is. I will save them. And so Jesus died on the cross for you. And the scripture says at the moment that you pray and ask for forgiveness, call upon him as Lord, that all your sin is taken off you and was put upon Jesus on the cross. He was substituted to take the wrath of God from you so that you would then be able to live in him. And so in life, what ends up happening is, as that is the big story of the gospel and we get a view of God, he has installed things within creation in order to have us not look at creation, but to use those things to look at the creator, to understand how good he is. And so if you go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, when God created the world and he speaks into existence, light he separates it from the darkness. He puts land and seas. And then within them, he puts uh, stars and and the sun and the moon. And on the earth, he put animals. And he finally comes to the end of the sixth day and he creates a man and a woman. Now, all that was that was in creation. It was like this big opportunity for God to say, I'm going to create this big space. We're going to call it a universe. And this entire universe is going to be a sanctuary. And what happens in a sanctuary is you go into that and you it is set apart to be able to view the one who's in the center. Now, the one who should be in the center of every sanctuary is God, is Jesus. And so he created the entire world so that it would be like a telescope to be able to look at him more clearly. When we see the stars or the, when we go look at a, a green frog, and I know Shelly doesn't like to look at green frogs, and there's some of you who don't like these other creatures. When you look at those things, those are not to be worshipped. Those are not to be adored as if they're anything. Those are pointing to Jesus. It's a sanctuary in all creation. Likewise, he has created other spaces that are to be focused on him. For instance, we have this space that we're meeting, this, this sanctuary, we call it. We have a piano, we have pews, but it's not about those things. It's about Jesus. It's to be focused on him. Likewise, 
As we saw in Colossians, he's created things both visible and invisible, that even those things would be a sanctuary somehow to point to Jesus. One of those things that he created in the beginning, when he said that he would create male and female in his image, that they together as equals would be used to look at him, he also created this other thing called marriage. And it says that the man shall leave his father and his mother and shall take his wife and cling to her and the two shall be one flesh. And right there at the very beginning, God created marriage. It was his institution. It was his thing that he created, not so that it could just be its own thing and that man, men and women could run away and do whatever they want in the midst of marriage. It was so that that sanctuary, that marriage would be an opportunity still to see Jesus and how good he is. That within marriage, there'd be the opportunity to cast our eyes upon him and say, how good is he? And so we're going to take a look at that this morning, because the reality is right now there is a there is a, 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 a war going on to say, here's marriage in the Bible. And I don't believe that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, I know our minds run to other things, but guess what? Abraham got it wrong. <laughs> Others in the Bible took it wrong and they had more than one wife. That wasn't what God intended either. So it's easy to point a finger at a certain subgroup and say they're getting it wrong. When in reality, we, by often our other perverseness and other ways and other means, we, we mess this up too. So let's look at what God intended when he created marriage. Not just it between one man and one woman right there in that relationship, but what he intended to point to him through. So let's look at Colossians. This is chapter three, starting in verse 18. Now, I just have to say, even before I read some of you, this is going to rub wrong. OK, this is one of the hardest sermons I'm going to have to preach. Because part of me just wants to apologize for it. But guess what? I'm not going to apologize for Jesus. I can apologize for what he has said here. So here it goes. Colossians three eighteen says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Was that hard? That's hard, isn't it? Because as soon as you take individuals and then you cast upon them this word called submit, there's just this angst within us that says no. Right? That happens even when we're born and we get put into a family and then there's a mom and a dad. As a child, we see that we're in a place of submission and we're like, no. Because submission, when you look at what that word means, it is a... It is a voluntary attitude of saying, I'm going to be under the charge of this individual. And there's something in our sinfulness that says, I don't want to be put into that place. I don't want to be under somebody else. I want to be my own. And that's why Eve at the very beginning said, yeah, I will take that fruit and I will eat it because I don't want to be under God. Satan said, I will be like God, knowing good and evil. I can just do what I want. See, men struggle with that same thing. We don't want to be subject to anyone or anything. It's a problem among all humanity. And as soon as we see that word, it's like, no. But that's not the way that it was intended. Subjection is not a bad or sinful thing. And if it was, then Jesus would not have done it himself. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ himself is also subject to somebody. The scripture says very clearly in first Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus is subject to the father. 
Now, think about that for a second. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God, the son. And in being a God, Jesus isn't in any way unequal with the father. They are equals. They are both all powerful. They both know all things. They both are absolutely good and full of love. They are equals. And yet at the same time, Jesus is subject to the father because that was good and fitting and right in that relationship. Jesus does this when he's on earth. He says, I don't do or say anything unless the father tells me to do it. I am subjected to him. Why? For the greater purpose. For the greater purpose. And so that's difficult because as soon as we see the words, wives, submit to your husbands. It's to me like, no. How many of you wives are willing to raise your hand and say, yeah, pastor, I got to tell you, that is a tough one right there is to say to submit to your husband. Yeah, I'm glad you're honest. My own wife is probably. Yeah. Why? Because oftentimes as husbands. We don't give them somebody honorable to submit to. Am I right? That word submit has been so abused in the way it is to be used, where somehow we believe if we're submitting, we're suddenly somehow unequal or the world will see us as being not as capable, that we are not as intelligent. As soon as I submit to somebody, it means that I'm less than. And that's not what God meant by that word. Again, Jesus was not less than the father. He was just in that role. Okay, we know that in marriages there are certain roles that occur between a man and his wife that just have to be. How many of you men who are husbands, who have children, bore your children? Did you? The women are like, no, you didn't. I was the one who hurt and pushed, okay? You sat there and almost fainted doing nothing, and I did all the work, okay? Women, you have been given a special role. God put that. I mean, that is not even arguable. I I cannot take that role in our marriage. That was Katie's. It was beautiful. It was awesome. God installs other things into marriage, and one, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. He says, as is fitting in the Lord, the Lord intended this. And it's hard. Now, now that I have that, and now that wives are like, come on, there's another verse right there. (laughs) The next verse goes on and says this, husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do you know that when Paul was writing this, the Romans and many of the people that day actually had household codes. Fathers are to be like this. Wives are to be like this. Children are to be like this. And in none of those codes do any of them approach saying what Paul just said. Even in the most progressive government that had come to that day, here Rome wouldn't even come to the place of saying, Husbands, love your wives. And don't be harsh with them. And in the scripture, it goes even farther to this. If you turn over to a sister book in Ephesians, this comes in chapter five. I want to show you what it means to love your wife, because as soon as you say wives submit to your husbands, that also means that husbands have been given leadership. Leadership. 
within the marriage. And I know that's crazy because husbands and men, we're just bozos. Okay, we just are. It's one of those things that we are like, God, are you really God? Did you know what you were doing when you made this man head of the family? This is what God says in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, in verse 22, and I will draw your attention to verse 21. It's already talking within the church and says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So men don't think you get off the hook and don't ever submit. This is an opportunity for us to act in a voluntary attitude of humility within the realm of community. And as it goes into households, it then says again in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I want to make another quick note. This doesn't say women submit to every man. It's been used like that. All women are subject to all men. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say you woman over here submit to all the other husbands. That's not what it's saying. It says wives submit to your own husbands the same way you, you do to the Lord. And then it says this. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then going on into verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then he quotes from Genesis saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, a unity piece. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul lays out for here again, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives because. Husbands, you have been made the head of the household. Now, again, that word head or when you talk about headship, that has been completely ripped out of context sometimes and been given other definitions by different cultures or by examples and preached about in the church that in a way that God did not intend. God did not intend by saying husbands are the head of their wives to say that husbands are the king of the family. Certainly, they have a principal responsibility in leading their family. But what it does not say is that, men, you get to charge your wife around however you want to. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that every day you get up and tell them exactly what to do there. He's not saying that you are the God of the family. He's saying that you are the head of the family. And then to define that, he goes on and says. Just as Christ is the head of the church. And going on to define headship, he says this about it. He says, who gave himself up for her. Why? It says that he gave himself up for the church to present her as glorious, 
and full of splendor and beauty and set apart for what she'd been called to be. And so husbands, when you are called to headship, you are called not to be the head in order to be the head king. You are called to headship in order to be the head servant. You in the headship position are called to love your wife so much and and have her pursue her calling that God has given her that you will serve her to the death to make sure that she doesn't go her own way or the world's way or anybody else's way that she goes Jesus's way. And she fulfills the calling that Jesus gave her. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you a story where I screwed this up big time. As I take people into premarital counseling, I give this one as one of the greatest examples, one of the greatest failures of my life. And thank goodness the Lord corrected me because in that correction, I think there's been a lot of really great fruit. But I remember Katie and I had been dating for about a month and I had received some bad teaching about submission and headship and this and that. And so um, we we had been dating a month and things had been going great. And so um, uh, one month in, I, I went over to Katie's parents' house where she was living and we sat down on the couch. And I said, Katie, I'm really sorry, but this isn't going to work out. She's like, what? Things have been going great. What, what do you mean this isn't going to work out? And I said, well, you know, I've been called to be a pastor and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to need a wife who can cook and clean and take care of the kids and 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 do all that because that that's what it means to submit. And I'm going to be a pastor. And 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 at that time, Katie, she's a brainiac and she was entering into medical school. And I was like, with that career and this, I mean, it's not I, it's just not going to work. And you've never seen Katie like this, but she was fierce in her face as she should have been. She said, what? I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to need this. That's what I'm going to need because it's about me. And I'll never forget the words she said. She looked me straight in the eye with all the justified anger. And she looked at me and she said. What makes you think your calling is any better than mine? And it's as quiet as it was right there. You know, I, I came back with my most famous phrase that I still say, over. I don't know. <laughs> and I took that next week and I was just I was devastated for what I, I could tell that something wasn't right. I'd made a mistake and I went back to the word and the Lord took me to that Ephesians passage and back to Colossians and said, if, if you want to look what and see what it means to have a husband or a wife in a relationship, it means that you're not the head king. You're the head servant. You should die if she is your wife to help her achieve the calling that God has given her to do. Husbands, you die first. I'm not just talking about bullets. I'm talking about you do everything you can to lead your wife towards Jesus. Because you know what it means to be the head? It's not only that you're to be the leader leading first towards Jesus and sacrificing in order to get your family towards Jesus. But there is going to be a day when you stand as a leader in any leadership position, but certainly as a family, when you as the husband stand before the Lord, you will stand as the responsible party of your family. You're the head of your family. You say, well, what if it's her who messed up? What if it's my kid? What's going on? You're the head. 
Going all the way back to the beginning. Remember when, when they're in the garden, there's the temptation. They take the fruit and they eat it. Who ate first? Eve did. And who ate right after? Because he not only took her towards her true calling, but he didn't even guard his own heart. Who ate next? Adam. So Eve ate first and Adam ate next, right? Now let me ask you another question. Who does the scripture hold responsible for taking all of humanity into sin? Eve or Adam? Adam. Why? Because Eve, while she ate and she had fault because of our sin, her, her sin, and so did Adam, Adam was responsible. He was the head of the family. He was the head of the wife. And he did not sacrifice. He didn't throw himself in the way of that serpent or the temptation. He did not in any way try to sacrifice himself. But he just kind of limped over in this weak-willed husband role and said, I'll let her go off into sin. I'll, I'll let her dance with the serpent. I'll let her whatever. Husbands, your job is to lead your wife and your family towards Jesus, period. Do you know what's sad right now? Not just in this world, not just in this so-called Christian nation, but in the so-called church. Do you know who mostly is the spiritual leader of most of our families? The women. Most of the churches that are gathering this Sunday, this very Sunday morning, It's the wives and their kids that are in the church. Who's the spiritual uh, leader? The husbands are not doing their role. And it may not just be because they're in the pew. Maybe they're in the pew, but they are not living it out on a daily basis, sacrificing themselves for the sake of pushing wives and children towards the calling of living in Christ. And so we can go on and on about these things and people will give arguments, this and that. And some people have looked at these things saying, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, be the head of the family. And they take that thing and they say that pastor is old fashioned. You're getting it from a book that's 2000 plus years old. That's old. We've progressed. We've gotten to a new. We've got these all these other social ways. There's Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't old fashioned. This was Jesus fashioned. The creator of the universe said, this is how I want it to be. These are the roles I want them to have. I fashioned that. And that's good. You know why it's good? If it was just husbands, wives, and it's just that. But God said, marriage is a sanctuary. It's supposed to point you to Jesus. That marriage in a lot of ways is like a dress rehearsal. Whereby if we're practicing headship and submission in the right way, when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing. When it's done out of love and respect and honor and for Jesus, you know how powerful that is? You know why? Because it's showing you God. The scripture says that Jesus is the head of his church. In your marriage, there should be a picture of Jesus and his church who, when operating together, man, that is a beautiful thing, right? And when those things are working in unison the way they're supposed to, it's kind of like a, um, the best thing I could come up with is like a nut and a bolt. And the machinists and hardworking people are like, yeah, nuts and bolts. A bolt on its own is pretty useless. A nut on its own is pretty useless. 
But when the one is gone and basically subjected to the other, but then they come, by, they come into their unit, they can be useful. I mean, they have been machined to be put together in just the right way. And that's what marriage does. But it's a picture of what God was doing to bring his people and in a perfect union be put together with him. It's another picture of the Trinity that in your marriage, you'd be seeing how God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit operate. You don't see them angry at each other. You don't see them vying for the top spot, the king of the hill. You see them all together as equals. Fulfilling their roles. For the ultimate show of glory. When that happens in your marriage. That's going to be the ultimate show of glory. It's going to be a sanctuary that points you to Jesus. This morning, you may say, like, the marriage piece, I don't understand it. I've got more to read on it. That's fine. But I don't want you to fail to miss this. This is all stemming from what Jesus did for you. When he looked at us, we were, we were a potential bride, but we were running away into adultery. We were running away towards the world and towards sin. What he did was he came and he saved us and yanked us out of our sin. And he brought us to himself and he made it possible by cleaning us to come together in a unity that we didn't do for ourselves. He saved us. And so you might not understand the marriage piece, but understand this. That Jesus and all of his power and authority has done everything that he can. In order to save you and bring you to himself. And he's going to use this world. He's going to use hopefully this church and marriage and all that's going on in order to get you to understand how much he loves you and what he's done. This morning, as we close, we always talk about the word of God speaking to us, showing us the gospel. And then there's a response from us. And really, that response is the same thing to submit and say, OK, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Some of you need to take your marriage and you need to say, OK, I mean, I'm, I'm not totally down with that. And let me tell you, headship and submission, it's going to look a little bit different with every couple. It just is. It doesn't mean that there should be abuse going on. Men, you should not use headship as an excuse for abuse. Ladies, you shouldn't use submissiveness in any way for an excuse either. But if you look in your marriage and say, you know what, we haven't been operating the way that Jesus fashioned this to be, then maybe you need to come down and uh, on your knees in your heart and just say, Lord, I submit Myself to you, maybe as a couple, you need to say, Lord, we submit our marriage. What do you want us to do? Just say, Lord, have me. Also, the Lord gives us opportunity to respond, and, and there's been individuals in our church that have responded. And one of the joys that we have as a church is to participate and watch what Jesus has done in them. Watch them give their testimony in one of the great and powerful ways that Jesus commanded his church to give a testimony of what he's done in their hearts is to have a water baptism. And what that means is what God's already done on the inside. These individuals stand before you and say, I want to have an outward expression of what the Lord's done in my heart. And so I want you, I want to call you into worship together. I want to call you from the scripture and go straight into saying, let's watch, let's rejoice in the fact that God came for a part of his bride, these individuals to say they are saved. And so this morning, 
we're going to have a couple baptisms. I want you to worship our response to be in the worship of these uh, of God through these these baptisms together. And then at the end, we'll give you an opportunity to respond personally um, uh, through an invitation. But at this time, I'm going to have uh, Landon Johnson and his parents come up and also uh, Joe Sherman uh, come up. These individuals uh, contacted me wanting to be baptized. And uh, you may this morning be thinking, oh, man, I was supposed to contact Pastor Jason. Um, If you want to be baptized, we're planning another baptism on uh, October 1st. And so if you want to be baptized, please come talk to me. But I'm going to have these individuals come up. Come on up here on the stage so everybody can see your bright, shiny faces. Um, This is Joe Sherman. I've been having a great time getting to know you and your husband and your whole family. Um, But Joe came to me and said, uh, Pastor, uh, the Lord did a work in my heart, and I, I need to be baptized. I need to be. Uh, I need to show that. I want to. I want to tell the world, and and that coming from a woman who kind of likes to be um, on the edge and shy and uh, not be seen. So this is a big deal for her to stand in front of family, friends, and God and say, uh, "I would just rejoice in what God has done." And and so uh, today we're going to baptize her. And then also uh, Landon, he's got a story to tell just as far as what the Lord did in his heart. And, and I just rejoice in, in seeing uh, this young man and his faith grow already. So Landon, do you want to sh- tell us how you came to faith? Um, well, there's one day that the Lord just called me to um, come to his heart. And I was like, yeah. One Sunday, um, I get a phone call from, from Trey. And Trey says, Hey, um, Landon has something he needs to say to you. And I thought I was in trouble. I didn't know what was coming. Uh, but Landon gets on the phone. And he says, uh, Pastor Jason, today, uh, while you were preaching, and I hadn't given any type of invitation at all, but he said, today, while you were preaching, God told me to give my heart to him. And I went down and I, I gave him my heart that day because God worked in my heart. That's, that's what he told me on the phone. I was just overjoyed because... I mean, God just spoke and he listened and obeyed and, and submitted his life to the Lord. So um, I love what the Lord has done in both of you. I love the opportunity that we have to, to go through uh, with this baptism. So we're going to start with Joe. I'm going to let um, Landon and, and family go around the, the side or uh, his dad go around the side. And uh, Joe is asked to be uh, baptized uh, by, by sprinkling, by pouring and... Um, and so what we'll do today is, is, is pour water over her head to symbolize just her being immersed under that, that fountain of the Lord and uh, what he has done. The word baptism means to be immersed. And so this is a great symbol of her being immersed. I remember I had a friend in, in Seattle who was baptized and we were going to dunk him in a, a pool, a pond um, in the city park. And the city said, you can't do that. And, um, and so we told him, hey, we can't baptize you in the pond. Uh, we need to just pour a bucket over your head and then he said well then in it he was he was an exchange student he said in his broken english then make it a big bucket uh he wanted there to be no doubt what the lord has done and i'm i'm not going to douse you too big but this is an expression of just the lord immersing you um in his in his holy spirit and saving you i'm going to ask you three three questions joe do you believe that jesus christ came died and resurrected uh, have you asked the Lord to save you and have has he come and done a work in your heart? And do you commit to a life of discipleship and in uh, keeping away from evil and, and committing to a life of doing what the Lord tells you? Uh, then Joe Sherman, in the name of the Father, 
of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. Give it up for Joe, would you? All right, give me just a moment. I'm going to take off this mic before it gets ruined back here. Thank you. 